Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin, here with Steve Prudian, and today we are on the Throne of God, Part 6. So, we're actually going to start this one out a little bit differently, and uh, we're going to just jump right into Psalm 96, verse 9. And that says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. And that is the King James Version. Steve, why are we starting with a psalm this week? Because if you're going to go to the throne of God, Mm -hmm. you have to know what worship is. Yes, you do. Okay. And worship requires recognition of who God is. And it also requires that we have a respect, a reverence, if, in fact, we are going to go to the Lord in worship. Right. Okay? You can't, you can go anywhere, in any way you see fit. However, in showing reverence and respect, you should go with a hot attitude of who God is and how great he is. And why he's worth worshiping. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I do like that you said it's kind of individual because there's generational differences and there's cultural differences. And you and I can have the same reverential posture in our heart, but externally show that very differently. And that's okay. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. So if I'm raising my hands and you're not, that doesn't matter. It's what's in the heart that matters. Um, I wear jeans and a t-shirt, you're wearing a suit. It's the heart that matters. So I do like that you kind of mentioned that, kind of set that up. So um, I could just bring that up momentarily. But regardless of the outward appearance, worship is worship. What is the key to worship? Uh, The key to worship is where does the glory go? When can you worship? I think it's a trick question. When should you worship? Well, when should you or when can you worship? All the time. All the time is correct. All the time. What do most people think? About what worship is. Uh, singing three songs before the service on one, one day Sunday a, morning. One day a week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the question is, okay, yeah. with all of the hours that are in a week, yeah. and God only gets one, and you call him that worship? No. No. <laughs> no. If you only, if all, if all week long, you only talk to your wife for one hour all week long, what would your life be like? Uh, it would be really difficult. It would be very difficult. There may be a plate at the table, but there'd be nothing on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not going to be a hot-cooked meal. <laughs> so, yeah, God is to be worshipped all the time. And that doesn't mean that you're driving around, walking around, sitting at your desk, singing, because the song, the worship song, is a form of worship. It's kind of like every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. Right? Every worship song that we sing is in worship to God, but not every worshipful act is done in song. Um Holding the door open for somebody might be an act of worship. It might not be. It might just be polite. But it could be an act of worship. Um, Taking somebody out to lunch. Conversation with somebody on the street. Um, How you greet the cashier when you go to get gas. Those can all be worshipful moments. 
It just depends on how you approach the situation and why you approach it that way. If you are wanting to, if you just go through your day wanting to shine the light of Christ for people, pretty much everything you do is going to be worship. Do you know that I have a picture of worship? Okay. It's not going to be the picture that you would think about. Okay. It's a picture of a master and his dog. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, 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 is that the dog has dutiful, dutiful um, um, focus on his master. Yep. And the dog will express his appreciation and gratitude and trust for his master. Mm-hmm. And the dog can't wait for when the master is going to spend time with him. Right. Okay? That is the best part of his whole day. It might even be better than a doggy treat. Yep. But the thing is, 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 is that oftentimes we get busy in the trenches in, in our lives in this world, and we forget that we are God's children mm-hmm. and that he loves us. Yes. But you know what? In the, with the fact that our minds are so complex— versus the dog the dog knows who his master is yep and his dog the dog has the anticipation that his master is going to show him love Mm -hmm. and the dog will do everything he can to please his master yep and i'm not saying that our worship should be like that of a dog to our master what I am saying is, is we should see God as our master who loves us and we should want to please him. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a good analogy. It's one I've heard before. And the, the joy that exists in the dog's life comes from doing the bidding of his master. He enjoys doing what his master tells him to do. And not only is he waiting for that time to be spent, but he's waiting for the command. Right? A dog that is sitting at his master's heel is sitting there, not only enjoying the time just sitting there, but he's also ready for a command. And he's ready to work. And that's uh, that's a beautiful thing, and it's something that uh, many of us, I'll say, overlook. We overlook it in taking our salvation for granted. You know, at the time of Jesus was in his earthly ministry, mm-hmm. uh, the people weren't a whole lot different than we are today. No. Because most of the people weren't looking at Jesus as being the Son of God. They were looking at the hands of Jesus to see what he had to give to them. Right. And the reality is, as many of us today, we don't look at the eyes of Jesus or the face of Jesus. We're basically praying to the hands of Jesus. Right. To see what he can give for give to us or do for us today. And we say that that's worship. But that's not worship. No. No. What do you think that is if it's all about us and not about him? Well, there's a, there is a worship. It's just going the wrong direction. Yes. Right. It turns into more of an idolatry word Mm -hmm. where we are thinking of ourselves first and of God second. You know, I've heard that some people refer to God as a genie. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he's there to fulfill every wish that we have. I use the analogy of a cosmic vending machine. You know, if you pray hard enough, you're going to get the answer. If you want it mu- enough, you're going to get what you want. You know, if you follow these steps, you know, I think about uh, the rich young guy who comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? 
And uh, Jesus tells him, and he walks away unhappy because he's not willing to pay the price, right? And that's just, it doesn't work that way. It's, no, it, it's, it, not, it's not about praying enough. Should we pray? Yes, absolutely we should pray. We should pray all the time without ceasing, is what Paul says. We should worship the same way. It ends up being two sides of the same coin. But it's not about us. Is worship exhausting? That depends. Most of the time, no. I would say most of the time, no, because worship is empowered by the Holy Spirit. However, there are times when worship involves the Holy Spirit speaking and working through you in ways that really can drain your resources. A lot of people confuse worship with the task of worshiping. And the problem is, is that if you see worshiping as a task, mm-hmm. it can become wearisome. Yeah, it certainly can. It's one thing when you do it out of love. Mm-hmm. You do it out of free will. It's another yes. thing if you're just doing it because it's expected. Right. Well, and that's... You know, back to the dog and his master. Mm-hmm. The dog wants to please the master. He doesn't heal or fetch or whatever because that's what he's been told and that's just what he's been told. And it's not a... The dog doesn't learn like that. The dog doesn't learn to do a task just for the sake of doing the task. That's legalism. Mm -hmm. And dogs don't do legalism. But churches do legalism. Churches do legalism really well. The dog does the task because that's what the master wants the dog to do. It's... I don't want to say that the dog is worshiping the master... Because the dog isn't, the dog's just wired differently, right? The dog doesn't have the same kind of free will you and I have. It's just not the same, you know? The dog isn't made in the image of the master, right? We're made in the image of the father. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is different, but that is the right attitude. It is a worshipful attitude, but that's the way God made the dog. So the dog has gratitude. The dog's got gratitude. The dog wants to make you happy because you being happy as the master is what makes the dog happy. And what do we treat God as? An option. An option. An option. Right. You know, my wife says to me, she says, you know, she says, I'm sure glad God has a leash on you. Mm Mm-hmm. I says, "Uh, okay, why? She says, because she says, you have a tendency to chase squirrels and rabbits. Yeah, and don't we? You know, in Romans, um, the book of Romans, Paul makes the the equation of you were a slave to sin, and now you're a slave to, to God. You're a slave to Christ. That's intentional. Right? We think that we think we're, we are our own master. And then, then and, you don't need to pray if you are the master. If I'm if I am my own master, that's I mean, that's one of the greatest lies that the devil has ever convinced us of as mm-hmm. a as a people, as a culture, is that we can be our own master. I'm my own man, I make my own rules, I do my own thing, and I do whatever makes me happy. And that's just not it's a delusion. A lot of people in prison who think like that. There are a lot of people in prison <laughs> who think like that, but it's it's a delusion. And that's kind of what Paul's writing to the to the Roman church is that you're a slave to one master or another. 
what you have control over is which master are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the master of sin? Or are you going to serve the master that is Christ? One of them is going to set you free in a way that you never expect. And that's really, I think, where our culture gets in trouble, because we think, okay, so I'll, I'll put air quotes around the word, I'm a slave to Christ, and that sets me free. And we think of freedom as, again, being our own master, but it's not. There's freedom in the submission to God and His will, because there's a protection there. There's a cover there. That's where we get to give Him our burden and take on His. Right? He says, you know, switch burdens with me. I'll carry your heavy burden. You carry my light one. My yoke is easy. And we, in our selective hearing and reading, we hear easy. We hear free. We have not right understandings, not full understandings of what that actually means. And so we get it wrong. And we end up trying to serve ourselves instead of serving the God who set us free. You know, if you go back in the Old Testament, the number two in command on the Moses. Uh-huh. When leadership was, or the mantle was passed to that person, his name was Joshua. Right. One of the first things he declared was this, that you have to choose yep. as a people, as a person, whom you're going to serve. But he says, as far as me and my home, my family, we're going to serve God Jehovah. Yep. But the reality is, is, is that in our selfishness. Yes. In many cases, we're self-serving. And subsequently, because of that, we do not have the kind of relationship that we should be having with God. Right. Yeah, and that's... You know, we see that, uh, how self-serving changes things. Um when trying to remember his name was it Achan who took some plunder from Jericho and then they lost oh, Achan 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 yeah there's an Achan in the camp yeah yeah <laughs> they lost yeah. the battle and boy in, is he a they pain they lost the battle of AI <laughs> yeah because of this guy who's a pain right he was a thief yeah and he lied about it right so and that's I mean, in the big picture, he affected the whole the whole people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can we can bring that forward to what Jesus teaches us, and he says, if your left arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Right? That's no different. It's really no different. We have an Achan in our left hand. We got to get rid of it because it's causing the rest of us to stumble and fall down. Um, which that, Jesus spoke in hyperbole a lot. That mm-hmm. It wasn't literal, don't literally cut your hand off, don't literally gouge your eye out, but know that it's something that needs to be dealt with. It's an unworshipful part of you. There's a part of you that's idolatrous. and Don't let your weakness rule. Right, and and don't let that rule. Right. And, you know, especially in this regard, when we're talking about worship and prayer, as it relates to prayer, um, I'll probably just use idolatry as the sin that's being committed. Um, But in reality... My understanding of sin is that it all flows out of idolatry. And any any time we break any commandment, we've broken the first. We break the first one first every single time. Whether it's dishonoring your parents, whether it's adultery, whether it's murder, whether it's coveting, we break the first one first. 
you know, in um, many a sport. Yep. One of the main things that they teach you is is that if you want to be successful in the sport, you got to keep the eye on the ball. Yes. Well, the reality is when we take our eyes off of God, take our eyes off of Jesus, well, we're going to have more strikeouts than we're going to have home run because you can't be successful in everything without right. the help of God. Mm-hmm. So the reality to that is, 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 is that if, in fact, you want to know that you're in a right position, keep your eyes on God. Yep. Now, I'm not going to say that you're always going to get the result that you want. But the thing is, is the results are no longer up to you. Right. All right. Uh, let's look at John four twenty four. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Is that one and the same, or are they different? I think it's the I, I, two sides to the same coin, I would say. Because spirit and truth come hand in hand, as long as it's the right spirit. And this who, is a capital S, so we're talking the spirit of God, right? Right. So it, in spirit and truth, God is truth. It's God's spirit. It's one and the same. But why does it say, why is our instruction, those, us, us, right. uses, we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. What is the truth we stand on? Christ. Um, I'm actually <laughs> I was reading this yesterday um, out of Romans. And it's not, it maybe doesn't fit exactly, but I want to go there anyways. anyways. So I'm in Romans chapter 12. Verse 9, mark of a true Christian. Let your love be genuine. Let it be true. Hate what's evil. Hold fast to what is good. And it's just, uh, you know, that thought came to me when you say in spirit and in truth... It's not, I'm not faking it. I'm not putting forward a version of myself. Right? You've got the Pharisees who maybe in their worship was true, but they were, were religious and not spiritual. It wasn't in their heart. They had it in their head, but they didn't have it in their heart. And I guess that's why I would say it's kind of two sides to the same coin. So they had the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Right. Right. They understood 613 or whatever odd laws they had written that they were following. I'm glad you said they had written. Right. And they were following. <laughs> right. Well, they were they were misinterpreting things. Right. Um and Jesus makes it perfectly clear that God doesn't want rote, strict, military-like obedience. He's not a drill instructor. He wants us to do the things, right? The Pharisees didn't—what they wanted us to do, what the laws that they had written and the things that they had down that needed to be done— are good things. But they were burdensome, too. But they were written in such a way that it was burdensome. Exactly. There was no heart in it. There's no spirit in that. There was no heart in it. There was no... It was all a show. It was all outward. 
So it was true, but there was no spirit. Do we do that today? Oh, absolutely. Do we have some churches that are heavy in spirit but lack the truth, but then we have other churches that are so heavy in truth they won't allow the spirit? Yes. I would, I would say that the there's a very depressingly small minority that has a good balance. And even the ones that have a good balance are lopsided to one way or the other. Good thing God loves us just the way we are. It really is. But he ain't going to leave us that way. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. And that's, I mean, a lot of people start in a church on either side of that, and they tend to migrate towards that. One way or the they, other. They, they, tend to, they tend to migrate towards that more balanced perspective. Mm -hmm. If they know of it. If they know of it. Most people, the church that they start in is usually the church that they die in. And if that church doesn't have a balance, they don't know any different. Right. How do you know a difference? How do I know a difference? How do you know a difference? We talk, we talk about other people, but how do you know a difference? Oh, because, well, my, per my personality, I tend to be a perfectionist. And so I'm, I'm very legalistic. I have, a, I have a tendency toward that, which is all truth and no spirit, right? Um, You're a control freak. I, I am a control freak. <laughs> I am. I am. I admit it. Um, you heard it here last. Um, <laughs> most people, if you've known me for five minutes, you've kind of understood that. Um, now, the church I grew up in was not legalistic. It was all truth and no spirit, but it was very regimented, very rote, and not just not a lot of spirit movement. Um, what's interesting then is that when Amanda and I were dating, I would go to church with her, and her church, while I would say it was a balanced church, leaned more towards spirit right it was it was a feel good church um no it was actually more charismatic okay and um, that means what what does that word mean um charismata are the gifts of the spirit so it was spiritual in that way there was speaking in tongues there was dancing in the aisles um there was some of that kind of stuff so it what, there what there was truth. What were they seeking? That's the question. What were they seeking? I them? don't know. Um, so before I was 20, I had experienced both. And so um, I'll tell you from then walk, stepping away from my faith for a number of years and coming back and going, I want a church that does both well. I want a church that is spirit and truth. And I'm okay if it's not perfectly balanced, but I want them both to be there. You can't make a cake without all the ingredients. No. And the thing is, no, is, is that, let's put it this way. Let's say you have all the ingredients and you have it all mixed. Mm -hmm. And you put it in the oven to bake. Uh -huh. But you don't turn the heat on. Right. What do you got? Batter. Yeah, soup. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't get the end result. So the question is, is that when you leave the spirit out, you may have all the ingredients. Right. But you're never going to get to the end result. Right. Well... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that a step further and go, okay, you know, if you've got 
the dry ingredients and the liquid ingredients. You've got, you know, spirit and truth. If you have that balance off just a little bit, your cake's going to be maybe a little bit dense, maybe a little bit tough, but it's still a cake, right? Or, or it'll fall apart on you. Or it'll fall, it'll, it'll be crumbly, it'll be, it'll be coffee cake, it'll be, you know, whatever, right? I'm, I don't bake a whole lot, so I'm not going to get this perfect. Somebody out there might correct me. It's okay. Um, but you still have a cake. But there is a point where you get that dry ingredient, liquid ingredient balance off so much that now what you get is no longer a cake. You know, it can no longer be considered a cake. And so I want to go to a church with a balance that can be considered a cake, right? Um, and I think everybody should. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be smarter than God and say that there's not a good reason for all the denominations. I think there actually is a very good reason for all the denominations. But I do think that there needs to be a lot more looking at each other from a perspective of what can I learn from you as opposed to what are you doing wrong? Because I think if we did that, we'd get a whole lot more cake. It's interesting that um, when I went to school, one of my assignments, I thought it was a very strange assignment. Okay. Um, they wanted me to go out and um, observe how other churches, other denominations conducted their worship service. I had a similar assignment. And, of course, we had to write a paper on it. Yep. And some of the criteria is is what was good and, and what wasn't so good and why. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was very strange because what that did is it pulled me away from the church I would normally go to to expose me to other people and other places and other ways of doing things. What I thought was extremely strange was is that the school I went to was was ultra-fundamentalist. Okay. Okay? I mean, really tight on the rules. All truth, no spirit. Right. Yeah. So subsequently, I came back confused after about 10 weeks of visiting and write my, writing a paper. And um, I talked to one of the professors, and I said, what if we don't have it right? Mm -hmm. In a fundamentalist setting, you don't ever make the statement of what if we don't have it right? But I didn't know that that, that was um, on the do not say list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and, and yeah, it shouldn't be. But so anyway, after after getting um, corrected, um, I was feeling a little bad, so I went and I talked to a more mature person who uh, had um, uh, much more exposure to the faith, and I explained the situation and what I observed and stuff like that. And he says, "Well, he says it boils down to this." He says, he says, our people, he says, we wear our vests so tight, he says, that it just chokes us. Yep. He says, what we need to do is, he says, we need to shed our vest. And he says, and take in a deep breath mm -hmm. and realize that there's more out there than just our way. Right. I says, so what are you saying to me? And it's what you just said. You have to have a balance. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I says, do you know that in your position, I says, you really can't say what you just said to me. I says, that's dangerous. Yep. And he says, I know it's dangerous. He says, but I also know what the truth is. 
the truth is dangerous. Well, that man, um, he was very good, but he also knew that um, his days were going to be numbered. Yep. Because of the fact that the things he did did not necessarily come in line with what the organization thought he should be doing. Mm-hmm. And once it becomes, you know, and this is a major issue that people have with churches in general, once it becomes institutionalized, it's very difficult to change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happens with an institution when you get to the point where you realize that there might be something that we're not doing completely right? What if we're not doing this 100% right? What if something is wrong here? Well, we've both worked in corporate America, and the reality is most of the time when those kinds of things are found, they're swept under the rug. They're not dealt with. They're you know, you bring something up and you get exactly the same response you got. We don't say that here. We're not wrong. We don't we don't entertain the option at all that we might be wrong about something. And that's uh it's problematic. It really is. Now I will say that when you do have a church that's a better balance of the spirit and truth, that question of are we doing this right? Should we be doing something differently? Is accepted more often. Maybe not every time. Nobody's perfect. One of the potting words that was probably the most definitive of my conversation with this gentleman mm-hmm. is he said, you know, he says, their method may be different. He says, but you have to look at the message if it is true. Mm-hmm. And I says, so it's okay to be different? He says, God has made everybody different. Right. He says, it's okay to be different. He says, but the question is, are you true to the message? Right. And that's the bottom line. Are you true to the message? Yep. So, can we worship differently? Yes. We can. So, that's the method. That's the method. But the message is in worship. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so since we're talking ultimately about prayer in the series, we haven't talked much about prayer today, um, but since we are talking about prayer, which they're two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. our prayer can be worship as well. And it should is. be worship. It is worship. If it's done right. If it's not done right, then it's of no then, effect. Then it's idolatry. Well, it's no effect. Right. Prayer done wrong is idolatry. And why does James and prayer say, done right is And why worship. does James say your prayers aren't answered? Because wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. Right. Right. And you're not the, you're not coming to the throne with the right posture. And you're, and you're, you're just asking not. selfishly. Right. Okay, outside of God's will. Yes. So part of it is this idea, like you just said, submitting yourself to God's will. And you know. If we love God, there's a, I don't remember which psalm it is off of the top of my head, um, but as we grow close to God, he will give us the desires of our heart. And we often think that, well, my heart desires a new sports car. So if I get close to God, he's going to give me a new sports car. Wait a second. Does it, can it rust? <laughs> the, <laughs> That's idolatry, okay? If I get closer to God, he's going to give me a sports car. That is, that's idolatry. That No, that's wrong. 
That's the wrong God. <laughs> As I get closer to God, God is going to give me a different desire to hold in my heart. I will no longer care about the sports car. And now my desire is to do God's will. My desire is to spend time in Scripture. My desire is to pray. My desire is to feed the hungry, take care of widows, to preach the gospel, to whatever God's will is for my life. He will give that to me. He will put that in my heart. And I think so often we just get that backwards. Is that, yeah, I'm going to get close to God. I'm, I'm going to spend time in the Bible. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to volunteer at this. I'm going to be a youth leader. I'm going to do all these things. And God's going to give me the desire in my heart because I want that video game system. I want that sports car. I want that big house. I want financial independence. I want whatever is your current desire. Are you talking about God or Santa Claus? <laughs> I'm talking about a cosmic vending machine. Um, but God gives us the right desire to hold in our heart. And I think so often... Um, Where those does ideas, the desire come from? Where does the desire come from? Well, the right desire comes from God. Going back to worship Him in... Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Right. Yep. Your, so, your sports car doesn't come out of spirit and truth. No. No. <laughs> no. No, that comes completely out of selfish ambition. Not, not that I don't still want a sports car. It's just a much lower priority than maybe it once was in my life. Um, so... That's, that's kind of what it boils down to. You know, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that having a sports car is a sin. That's not at all what I'm getting at. I'm not, wanting those things is not problematic. It's putting them before it's, God. It's putting them before God that becomes the problem, right? And I mm -hmm. know, actually, I won't use names, but I do know the. we have a couple here in church that has multiple very nice vehicles and use that as an opportunity to love people, to share the gospel, to expand the kingdom. So guess what? They're God's cause. They are. They're God's cause. <laughs> <laughs> very much. Well, they've taken, God has taken a passion that they have in their lives and turned mm -hmm. it to his will. You know, and that can be for anybody. You know what? People of this world who do not know God right. only recognize the things of this world that grab their attention. Absolutely. And in this particular case, these people are sharing what grabs people's attention mm -hmm. so they can actually know that they are from God. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that that comes from them remembering just how great God is. Mm -hmm. God's big. God's really big. He's creator of the universe big. And so often we just forget that. We whittle him down to something that'll fit in our pocket. And that's a travesty is what that is. Um, but knowing how God great God is, remembering what he's done for you. We've talked about this before, the answered prayers, right? Are you tracking your answered prayers? Because if you're not, you're going to miss something. You're not going to remember them all. No. And then you, when you have a prayer that is seeming to go unanswered, you're not going to be able to have that to go look back on. You're not going to have something written down or tracked somehow, some way to say, look at all the answered prayers. And that is called the proof of the faithfulness of God. Yep. 
because of the fact that you prayed, you had a need, mm-hmm. and he answered. It's even better before you even know you have a need. Right. And he's already answered. Yeah, sometimes... You didn't do anything. <laughs> sometimes we didn't do anything. I didn't pray for it, but it just happened. And man, was God answered a prayer I didn't even know I had yet. Oh, he knew your prayer even though you didn't verbalize it. Right. Well. Daddy brought home ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My kids are always leery when I bring home ice cream. Because sometimes I bring home ice cream to share, and sometimes I bring ice cream home because... Daddy needs ice because cream. Because Daddy needs ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, it does not stop them from asking for ice cream. You brought it home. You should expect it. <laughs> I brought it home. I should expect it. You know, but... I mean, moving on, moving on in our in our thing of what we want to cover today, you know, and this ties right back to the beginning where we mm-hmm. started. In everything the first, ties back to the beginning. Everything ties because back to the beginning. Because what does the Bible begin with? In the beginning. In the beginning. <laughs> well, it ends with a new beginning. So, but going back to the first episode of our Throne of God series here, mm-hmm. approaching boldly. As a kid goes to dad, right? My kids come to me. Can I have this? Can I have that? Will you do this? Will you do that? They're not scared. They're not timid. Doesn't matter how many times I tell them no. I got one that'll ask me the same question 15 times in one hour and get 15 no's. That person's in the Bible, by the way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's maybe not confident that that he's going to change my mind, but he knows he can ask. And even if I don't change my mind, he's still content to ask. Over and over and over again. And sometimes it drives me a little nuts. He's counting on that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He's seeing if he can drive me crazy enough to just get me to say yes. This kid in his mind, okay, he has this one thing. Uh I win. I win. (laughs) (laughs) He and I both. (laughs) Um, But God knows. God knows what we're going to ask for. He knows what we need. He knows what we need to ask for. And we talked about it um, not last week because we didn't do this last week, but the week before we talked about um, sometimes prayer is just obedience, right? I have to pray for it so that God can bless me with it, right? Whatever it is, whether it's, you know, a healing of some sort, whether it's um, green grass, whether it's rain. You know, I'm thinking a lot about our farmers right now, looking forward to a planting season, and there's no water in the ground, right? And so if it's in God's will for it to rain, it's going to rain. But God might want us to pray for it before it's going to happen. And there is an amount of it that's in obedience. God knows. He knows what we're going to pray for. He knows what we need. Sometimes he gives us what we need before we even know we need it. Um, and he uses his spirit, right, to initiate that as well. And so um, there's another passage here that you've got in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we should read this. We'll talk about it for as long as we're going to talk about it. Um, the funny thing is, is you don't get to the, to the most important part until you get to the very last verse. Right. Which, which is verse 16. But, verse it's, 16, on, but yep. it's only, what is it, eight verses? 
Not even yeah. eight verses. Seven verses. Yeah, seven verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9 and going through the end of the chapter. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's going back to him giving us the desires, right? We have no idea what God's prepared for us, but if we get closer to him, he starts to plant those things in our heart. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. Now we're starting to recognize it. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we, as believers in Christ, have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual, who don't have the Spirit of God living in them, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. I just said that. If you don't have God's Spirit, it can't talk to you. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And how do you get the mind of Christ? Only from having the Spirit of God living inside of you. And where do you find the truth? I am the way. The way. The truth. The truth. And the life. Absolutely. And who's that? That was Jesus. That's Jesus. Yep. Okay. So the thing is, is that if you follow Old Testament law. Right. And there's nothing wrong with Old Testament law. No. Okay. It was the truth of that day and that time. Mm -hmm. But most people failed in following that law. Well, most people didn't dig deeper than the words. They didn't look behind the words. They didn't Did look they, for a why. Why is God power? doing this? Did they have any power to fulfill that law? No. They didn't. And then Jesus. Right. And then Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, the we, law was given to condemn us. That's right. To show what we couldn't do. To show what we can't do on our own. To prove to us that we will fall short. Even with 613 or whatever laws. Was, that a, was that a religion? It was a religion of sorts, yeah. Yeah, it was a religion, okay. But what did Jesus Christ come to do? Uh, he came to set us free from it. Yes, he came to set us free from it. Yep. But yet people still want to be tied to a formula. Right. But when there's freedom, that doesn't require any follow formula other than just follow me. Right. Not a big order. Follow me. Two words. Right. <laughs> right. And that's kind of scary because you're right. There's no formula that goes along with that. It's just follow him. And he has a different path for every single person to walk because he created all of us individually. And although some of us might have similar paths, none of us have the same. So it's interesting if you look at the chapter, which you just read, mm -hmm. the chapter that it's in. Yep. It's actually written in the first letter, letter to the Corinthian church, which was, which was a very young church. Yes, it was. And it's the second chapter after Paul's introduction and salutation. Yep. So there has to be an emphasis of why the Spirit is so important. Yeah, it's... 
Because you don't, you don't know without the Spirit. Right. Right. And there was some, there was some things going on in that church at that time that were not very good. And they were mixing. They were mixing what they were from the past with, with the, what they knew that they had heard and what they were believing in. Right. And the problem was is that there was really no mixing because the whole purpose was is don't bring what you used to believe into this because right. you don't need to rest upon what you used to believe. Right. And that's... Uh kind of what we've been talking about. They were bringing in that idea. If I get close enough to God, he's going to give me what I want. Instead of, I want to get closer to God so he tells me what I really want. These people were, um, it was part of Greece, is where Corinth is. Yes. And these people had been conditioned to pray to a different God because different gods gave and did different things. Yeah, they had all sorts of different gods. Yeah, they did. And they so, had a, what do they call it, a pantheon. A pantheon, right, Yep. where they had every god there except one that had no statue. And that was that was basically the base to the unknown god. Yep. And Paul focused on the unknown god. Right. Well, that was in Athens. Well, yeah, but the, but the Athens was part of Greece. The capital Athens, of Greece. Athens was part of Greece. I mean, it was the, it was all part of the Roman Empire at the time. At that time, it was. And but Greeks still believed in Greek gods. Right. And Romans believed in Roman gods, and some of them sure looked alike. Some of some of them were just different names for the same right. fake deity, um, like Diana and Artemis. <laughs> <laughs> well, and. You know, the Romans had a really had a really different kind of what we would expect, it, very backwards from what we would expect. When they conquered a civilization, they didn't eliminate those gods and say, no, now you worship our gods. They did the opposite. They said, okay, now we'll worship your gods too. And so, um, so having that unknown god... Um, was from a Roman perspective logical, right? Because as they continue to expand, they're going to continue to discover gods. And so to have a a temple or a monument to an unknown, from their perspective, as of yet undiscovered God, Paul turned that completely on its head for them. Mm-hmm. And Nero didn't like that at all. No, because he was God. Because he was God, right? They believed that Caesar was God. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. But that's no different than the Egyptians believing Pharaoh was a God, too. So, anyways. Worship the Lord in beauty and holy... Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Worship in spirit and truth. I like beauty and holiness. Beauty and holiness is good. Yeah, I like that. I like that picture. Yep. Yep. All right, anything else that we want to add? Well, we're going to actually next week go back to the very first lesson on teach us teach me to pray, which was what the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Yep. We're going to go back to that because these last six lessons have been putting ourselves before the throne. Yes. And what is the right posture before the throne? Mm -hmm. But we're going to go back to what Jesus taught his disciples about how to pray. Yep. And uh, I gave you a handout today, whether you saw it or not. Yep, I did look at it and it's And it's called the hand of prayer. And Mm -hmm. each, each finger that you have represents an aspect to prayer. Now, one of your five fingers is the most important finger of all. Can you guess which finger that is out of your five finger? What is the most important finger of all? Okay, I want to guess the I want to guess the finger, but I don't want to talk about why until next week. That's right. We'll we'll leave a cliffhanger. Okay. What's the most important finger of all? 
Okay, don't thumb. tell them why. Oh, the thumb. Th- the thumb. That's right. That thumb. We're not going to tell you why, but it's the thumb. And for anybody out there who's saying the thumb isn't a finger, for our purposes here today, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the only way to hit your right. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. We go back to what I said earlier. Every every square's a rectangle, but not every rectangle's a square. Mm-hmm. Okay, every, I, every thumb is a finger, but not every finger's a thumb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, are you philosophical? <laughs> uh, high school anatomy teacher might be upset with that one. Anyways, all right. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and listening through. Uh, look forward to next week. Thank you very much for coming in, Steve. It's my pleasure. Are we going to be here next week? Yeah, we're still going to be here on Tuesday. Yeah, we'll still be here yeah. on Tuesday. We'll still be here. Wednesday we may not be here. We'll be here on Tuesday. Exactly. Right. All right. (laughs) We'll see you next week. 